0: The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. 46 years old and I've heard that story my whole life. And every year I'm wrecked again. When we go through the stations of the cross, when we go through and think about this last week, this passion week, what it cost our savior. And I think it's because I find myself in the story the whole way through. We're in this series uh, where we're looking at what does it mean for Jesus to be personal He's more than just an idea. He's more than just something that we think about. He's more than just a set of of teachings, right? It's more than just some good suggestions. He's a real person and he invites us, each one of us, to have this personal relationship with him. And so on Palm Sunday, uh, they waved the branches and, and they declared, Hosanna, save us and and because my my soul needs saving my life needs saving my broken places need saving i know i'm a sinner so i find myself right there in the story and then we know that the last week of jesus life uh, he he spent a lot of time some of his most profound teaching right in the temple teaching them about the love of God and what it looks like and what it was not supposed to look like. We know that uh, Jesus cleared the temple again in that last week, that literally full of righteous indignation, he, he took off his belt and made a whip and drove out those that would steal from God. And although I'd like to say, yeah, my heart's full of righteous indignation, I've stolen from God. I deserve to be driven out of the temple as well. And then we go through that last, uh, those last hours, starting at the Last Supper, when uh, it, it starts out in, in John chapter 13, where it says that Jesus showed them the fullest extent of his love. After the meal, after they celebrated the Passover meal, these intimate friends of Jesus, it says that he took off his outer garments and he washed their feet. There, there's something wrong with that picture, Right? There's something wrong with the picture of the king of the universe on his knees washing the servant's feet. But that was the beginning of the fullest extent of his love. And then he goes into that conversation where he begins to warn them what's going to happen and he tells them, you're all going to fall away on account of me. These men that had been intimate with him for three years, he's telling them, yeah, you'll all fall away. And, of course, Peter speaks up and he says, "Uh, no, all these other jokers will, but not me, right? I love Peter because he has a big mouth. So do I. Sometimes he speaks first and he says, they'll all fall away, but I won't fall away. And he's told, yeah, you'll deny that you even knew me three times before the rooster crows. Then we go to the garden and, of course they're spending a a long night and Jesus is in this long night of prayer and they fall asleep on him. And then when he's arrested, they abandon him. And then before the kangaroo court with all these false accusations, we, we see the greatest injustice ever perpetrated in human history. Right? Where Jesus is accused, where 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 God is accused of being a heretic, how is that even possible? Where the one who is sinless, they claim to have sinned. Where the only one that is worthy to sit in judgment, they judge him. And then ultimately, when they take him before a Roman governor, they exchange him for a murderer, even though two judges found him not guilty. And then the horrible mess that is the cross, you know, he's been denied and and he's been abandoned. And then in that moment, he feels even abandoned by God. So today is Good Friday. And as we've said before, it doesn't feel like there's much good. But even as I was telling my son Benjamin this morning, this is the reason we call it Good Friday, because it's the worst day, but it's also the best day. Right? It's the worst day, but it's also the best day. It's the worst day because of this horrible injustice and this denial and and, and the betrayal of Judas and the abandonment by friends and by God and him taking all of our sin and all of our shame and he's taking it to the cross. That's what's worst about it. But what's best about it is because he did it, I can be alive. Because he did that, I can be forgiven. Because of that, I can be free. Because of that, I can have a relationship with God. That's why we call it good. There's something profound about this day. But it's not a pretty picture, is it? And I think sometimes we have this image of love or this image of grace is that it's somehow a soft Hued painting, or like one of these, uh, you know, the kind of, uh, forgive me, but the kind of card that you would send your mom, or at least I would send my mom, with a lot of flowing words and a light of pretty colors, you know, very dainty, you know, font, maybe. That's love and grace, right? And the reality is what real love is and what real grace is, is the picture that we see on the cross. It's a mess. It's painful. It's bleeding, it's torn flesh, and it's ripped open skin, snot bubbles, and a man gasping for breath. It's not pretty, but that's what love is. There's three verses I want to read from this Last Supper moment, these Last Supper moments that Jesus had with his disciples after he washed their feet, after He, he... broke the bread and said, this is my body, after he shared the cup and said, this is the new covenant of of my blood, he gave some of the most profound teachings, the final teaching, the final lesson from the master. And John said he showed them the full extent of his love. And then in John 13, 14, and 15, he he begins to preach what real love is and what it's going to look like for them and by implication for us. And I think it's summarized in three verses in John 15, 12, 13, and 14. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. The whole last lesson was love. Everything culminated in this moment. Do you understand what is about to happen? A new command that I give you. And it wasn't new in the sense that he had never told them to love. He was going to give them a new way to love. This is my command. That you love one another. You see, for Jesus to really become personal, there's two things that I take from these verses that we have to latch on to. And the first is this, that we are loved by Jesus. We are loved by Jesus. Now, before you say, well, that's obvious. Okay, I'm a Christian, I come to church, I've heard that before, we're loved by Jesus. Think about how stunning the statement is that he called them friends. He called them friends. He said, there's no greater love than this, that a man would lay his life down for his friends. I am staggered by the idea that the God of the universe, in the flesh of Jesus, would consider me to be a friend. But he calls us friends. He loves as a friend. And he says that there's no greater love than that kind of love. Now, I want to challenge you here, just some thinking right here, because it's often said, well, you know, you know there's stronger loves than friendship love, that some of the strongest love is, is uh, maybe between a man and a woman, and, and that's, that's a great love, right? I, I, I love my wife, right? But that can be lost, I mean, just between the services, I don't want to sell anybody out, but I was, I was watching Jess and Lynn over here in the corner, and I said to two buddies I was talking to, I want to love like they do when I'm that age, right? And you too, I love you, but you probably need to get a room, because what you were doing between the services right there, I mean, they're just snuggling. I mean, that's profound love. But you know, there's a greater love. That a man would sacrifice for his wife or a wife would sacrifice for a husband. That's a, that's, that's great love. But you might say, well, you know what the greatest love is, is between a parent and a child. You know, a mother would give up her life or give up her safety for a child or a father would do the same thing for his children. And that's a profound love. But you know, you kind of expect that the way I love my wife or the way I love my children, it's like, hey, if I'm, if I'm going to be any kind of a father, that's the kind of father I'm going to be, or any kind of mother, you're going to give up yourself for your child because that's blood, that's kin. But you know what Jesus says is the greatest love is when a friend lays down his life for a friend. There's no greater love than that. and of course that's what he was about to do. He was about to go to the cross and lay down his life for his friends. It staggers me to think that I could be his friend. Now think about who was at that table when Jesus said uh, when he said those words. Peter was at that table, wasn't he? Big talking Peter. And Peter was going to deny that he even knew Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. You know, I'd like to think that I wouldn't deny like Peter, but I know that I have. Any time that, by the way I've lived my life, by my actions, by my attitudes, by the words that have come out of my mouth, by the way I've spent my time, the way I've spent my money, the way I've spent my gifts, either by willful sin or by my apathy. time I have lived contrary to the love of God, I have denied Jesus. I'm just like Peter. Peter was at that table and Jesus said those words and Peter was loved by Jesus even though he knew that big talking Peter was going to deny him three times that very night. The third time, sorry, to a girl. That's not sexist. That's just in case the men are listening. In fact, the third time he denied, the interpretation is basically he, he swore to God. He said, I swear to God, I don't know the man. But I've denied Jesus. And the rest of them denied him when they abandoned him that night. When the soldiers came with torches and clubs, they all ran into the night and left him alone. Some of them may have followed at a distance. Has there been a time in your life where you've denied God, denied Jesus? Peter and the disciples were loved by Jesus. You know who else was there? was Judas. He knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew Judas, Judas had been stealing money. But that night when he washed their feet, that night when he broke the bread and offered the cup, Judas was loved by Jesus too. Peter was loved by Jesus. And Judas was loved by Jesus. Have you ever felt betrayed? Have you ever betrayed? Even in that moment, Judas was loved by Jesus. A betrayer and he betrayed him with a kiss something intimate between friends he betrayed him with a kiss he was still loved by jesus and he was still called at least at that point friend and of course they all forsook him as he went to the cross we know from reading the four gospels that the only there was only really one male disciple that actually made it to the cross the rest were in hiding The women had more courage and they're crowded around with one apostle maybe. But even in that moment, he's forsaken by his friends. He's forsaken in those that he's invested in the most. And he feels forsaken by God himself. God himself had to turn his back. He couldn't look upon the sin, my sin and your sin. So Jesus was denied. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was abandoned. And he felt that forsakenness. And he knew that that was going to happen. But they were still loved by Jesus. So when we say that we're loved by Jesus, on a night like tonight, we can only begin to grasp how profound it means to be loved by Jesus. I still can't wrap my head around it. Karl Barth was one of the or has been called one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. He's impacted other great minds from C.S. Lewis to Dietrich Bonhoeffer to the churches that we worship in today in North America and in the West. Karl Barth was from Switzerland. He was one of the few that stood against the early rise of Nazism. He stood against Hitler. The man was brilliant. He the, the man has forgotten more about God and theology than I'll ever know. And, and it, he lectured, and he taught, and he was a pastor, and he wrote millions of words to help us understand the love of God, and to help us understand theology, and to help us understand complicated books like Romans, etc. Et the point is, the guy was kind of a big deal. And in 1962, about six years before he died, he toured North America, lecturing at places on, you know, like Princeton and other, you know, Notre Dame, places like this, and 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 he was asked, he was asked, out of everything you've written, what's the most profound thought you've ever had about God? Or the one thing that could summarize kind of all these millions of words that you've written. And this brilliant Dr. Carl Barth, this brilliant theologian, answered very quickly to the audience. I think it was at Princeton. He said, Jesus loves me. This I know the Bible tells me so do you understand that you're loved by Jesus I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up but by the way you've lived your life have you ever denied him by the way you've lived your life have you ever been a betrayer By the way you've lived, have you ever forsaken and abandoned him? You're still loved by Jesus. But there's even more in these three verses that we shared tonight. He says, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. So it's not just this greater love, this greatest love. In order to have this personal Jesus relationship, yeah, I'm loved by Jesus, but he's telling us something else, is that we're supposed to love like Jesus. In fact, we're loved by Jesus so that we can love like Jesus. It's the only way to love like Jesus. It's the only way. It's that kind of love that transforms us. It's that kind of love that changes us. It's that kind of personal love that makes this personal Jesus really real. We're loved by Jesus so that we can love like Jesus. Well, how did Jesus love? He laid down his life. That's how we're supposed to love one another. Okay, now at that point, that's when my head starts to hurt. Just this last week, by God's grace, the ice cream shop in Buckley is open again. That means summer's coming. You know when you eat ice cream really, really fast and you get the brain freeze, the ice cream headache, ow, 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 here it comes. You still get that? That's how my brain starts going when I start thinking and meditating on this. This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. How did he love us? With that messy, torn flesh, bleeding love that knew it was going to be denied, that knew it would be betrayed and knew that it would be forsaken. You see, if I know that you're going to deny my friendship, I don't want to be your friend. You know, if I know that you're going to abandon me, if you're going to forsake me, I don't want to take a risk. And certainly, if you're going to betray me, how do you love that way? Jesus doesn't mince words. This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he tells us what it looks like. It's you and I laying ourselves down for our brother. Laying our lives down for our sister, for one another. That's what it looks like. You want this personal Jesus? Love like that. We realize that we're loved by Jesus so that we can love like Jesus. Wow, that hurts. It's interesting, that last verse contains a a word that if you you spend any time just chewing on this verse, you're gonna stumble over. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Does anybody here who would like to be Jesus' friend? I would. And right there, it would seem to say that maybe his friendship sounds conditional. Well, I want to encourage you tonight. It's a heavy enough night. We celebrate Good Friday, we celebrate what he already did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago, but I don't want to lay that on you that somehow it's conditional. The tense here is the if is more evidential. What do I mean by that? He's not saying, you better love just like I did, otherwise I'm not going to be your friend. It's evidence. If you're my friend, if you've experienced my love, if you've been loved by Jesus, you're going to want to love like Jesus. It's already going to be there. I'm thankful for that because sometimes I'm not really loving. I want to be. I'm seeking to be that way. I'm asking God to help me love that way. I don't always do it. Sometimes I forsake. Sometimes I abandon. Sometimes I betray. Sometimes I experience that myself, that others don't love me that way, right? But the same way that Jesus loved them unconditionally, even in that moment when he says, you don't even understand this yet, but greater love is no man than this, what I'm going to do tomorrow morning. I'm going to lay down my life for you. And my love is in you if you love this way. We're loved by Jesus so we can love like Jesus. Peter, of course, was the one that talked first and then denied and then ran away. Later in life, after Peter experienced that unconditional love of God, even through his denial, he wrote a couple of epistles to the church. And in in the first one, in 1 Peter chapter 4, he gives us a little picture of what that love looks like. In 1 Peter 4, 8, Peter wrote many years later, love one another earnestly from the heart. Some translations put it a little bit differently. It says, love one another fervently from the heart. What does that word fervent mean? Or the word that's translated into English, earnest. What does it mean to love earnestly or fervently? This is what we're talking about when we say love like Jesus. Jesus' love for us was earnest. It was fervent. It's an active word. And so when We say, this is how Jesus becomes personal. We're loved by Jesus, so love like Jesus. The type of love that we're to have for one another, the type of love that we're to have for our enemies, the type of love we're have for those that would deny, those who would forsake, those who would betray, those who would hurt us, is this earnest and fervent love. The best way to describe this active, fervent love is, it, it's fitting because it's April, and so spring sports are starting again, right? Baseball and softball, America's pastimes, track and field. And in both those sports, there's a there's a moment when a runner is straining to get to first pl- base, right? Have you ever seen that when they freeze frame it in the major leagues? They're straining to get to first base. Or when the first baseman, you know, I'm not left-handed, but is stretching to catch the... You know, the, the the throw from the shortstop. Or in track and field, when you see the runner leaning to get across the line, to break the tape. At the World Championships a year or two ago, we saw someone dive across the line. Do you remember that? That picture, that freeze frame, that's what fervent love looks like. That's what earnest love looks like. I don't always beat the throw. I don't always win the love race. I don't always catch it. But I'm straining to love that way. We're loved by Jesus so that we can love like Jesus. That's when Jesus really becomes personal. You know, we say the mission of our church is to love God And love people and make disciples. And one of my fears, and I think it's one of all of our fears, is that love God, love people would just become a motto. It would just become a t-shirt slogan. It would just become a bumper sticker. just become something to be on the banner at the bottom of the website or on the top of the social media page. Love God, love people. You can spend the rest of your days trying to figure that one out. How do we do that fervently? How do we do that earnestly? I haven't figured it out perfectly yet. But I know this is that we're loved by Jesus so that we can love like Jesus. And it's a mess. It's a mess. He knew he came to die. He offered himself as a sacrifice for his church collectively and each one of us personally. He knew he would be betrayed. He knew he would be denied. He knew he would be utterly forsaken. But we were still loved by Jesus. So we can love like Jesus. So what does that look like? What does that look like? In the next few moments, we're gonna, we're gonna sing another song and then we're gonna take communion. We're gonna celebrate His love. We're gonna celebrate the full extent of His love. Not just serving us by washing of our feet and washing us with His blood, but also the extent of His love by offering Himself Himself to take our place. The extent of his love, which was unconditional and never ends and never gives up. It went all the way to the cross and grave and the grave couldn't keep him in the ground, right? So I think it's appropriate in these next few moments, if you would go ahead right now even and bow your heads and begin to ask God, God, how do I love like Jesus? God, I understand that I'm loved by Jesus, but how do I love like Jesus? You do that, when we do that, when we live that way, it begins to become personal. That's when it becomes real, really real. So even in this next song, maybe spend some time getting your heart ready on this good Friday to celebrate, to experience again in a practical and a tangible way, broken body and shed blood, necessary, not only for our relationship with God, but so that we can have a relationship with the personal Jesus. Father God in heaven, I thank you for Good Friday God although your grace is free we know that it's not cheap God we know it cost you dearly it cost Jesus dearly Jesus I'm so thankful that you submitted to your father's will in the garden Jesus we know it wasn't easy for you how can we dare think it will be easy for us But God, you laid your life down. You laid your flesh aside. Your wants, your desires. Your only desire was to serve God the Father, to love him back the way he loves. Jesus, thank you for being love in flesh. And thank you for offering that love in flesh as a sacrifice. Thank you for pouring your blood out. Jesus, thank you that we can be loved by you. Would you help me to love like you? Would you help us to love like you? Would you forgive us of sin? when we don't love like you, when we choose instead to deny, forsake, and abandon. We thank you for the cross. And we thank you for your sacrifice. And it's because of this we can pray, and it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray.